Welcome to the Switch Clicks Podcast, episode 60, and the final Zelda Month episode. My name is Dakota, and I am once again joined by the Zelda enthusiast Nathan. Whoa. During the entire month of November, we'll be celebrating Zelda Month. This includes special podcast episodes that interview some of the greatest online creators, and played by tier reviews on a handful of fan-favorite Zelda games. Check out the hype trailer on our YouTube channel, and be sure to subscribe so you don't miss the celebration. Tonight we have an incredibly special guest, who you may have heard as Rivali in Breath of the Wild, Diluc in Genshin Impact, and recently announced to be voicing Spider-Man in Marvel's Avengers DLC. Please welcome Sean Chiplock to the show. Hey, do we have like the, the audience applause thing, you know, the game show like, woo, and then you get like the clapping, and I'm like, hey, what's up, how's everybody doing, time to VO the BO, I don't know what that means, yeah. <laughs> I'm sure I can uh, add that on later on, honestly. <laughs> that would be amazing, I don't, I, I know you don't have a video editor because this is a podcast, but I don't know, do like the, the audio equivalent of like a, a PowerPoint whoosh transition. How are you tonight, Sean? Uh, I'm doing pretty okay. I uh, I came back from a dentist appointment follow-up because I had uh, all three and a half of my wisdom teeth ripped out about two weeks ago. Oh and I was, I was concerned that one side was still feeling a little sensitive and they were like, nope, looks like it's actually healing up pretty well. Uh, still could be sensitive for a month or two though. But hey, at this point, you're okay to eat solid food again as long as you can tolerate it. So, you know, <laughs> uh, that's been one of the high points of my week and then of course we got to mention voicing the peter parker the spooter meme uh which was it was a hell and a half to to you know calm my nerves down for something like that but i'm extremely grateful to be doing what i do and people seem to be enjoying it for the most part so i'm i'm grateful to to be here and thanks for having me yeah congratulations on getting that role thank you uh, we do have a question later about that too oh fine cool you're supposed to surprise me if I if I'm expecting it. Now I'm going to start thinking of answers. It's not going to be organic. You've ruined it. <laughs> um, yeah. So we're just going to interview about some, I guess, some topics. If we do have, I think, like 26 to 29 questions, it is oh a lot of questions. God. Uh, how long do you expect this to run? Uh, usually we oh. don't go longer than an hour. <laughs> yeah. Some and give or take 40 minutes. An hour, an, hour, minutes. an hour is a given. Like, I hope some of these are <laughs> yes and no and don't require follow-up because I tend to be a person who gives very insightful but very thorough responses. So we're probably going to average between three to five minutes per question. I guess the first question would be, uh, how did you get started in voice acting? And maybe what motivated you to pursue it? Boredom and Neopets. Uh, I'm sure anyone that listens to this podcast will have heard this for like the 50th time by now. But uh, I wasn't really interested in a lot of stuff in high school. Like I slept through all of my classes and I mean literally all of them. And it pissed my teachers off so much. Um, I was a really big fan of math until uh, uh, pre-calc happened. And then we broke up and never spoke to each other again. Um, and I just there wasn't anything that really spoke to me in a way that I was ready to dedicate up to four years of college curriculum to it. And uh, the other side was that because I was often so bored, I'd spend my evenings up really late listening to Adult Swim, either playing MapleStory and grinding levels or doing Neopets and grinding Neopoints. And on one particular evening, I ended up visiting Adult Swim's website. And just from browsing and clicking around and checking out stuff, I ended up seeing this 
sneak preview video of an upcoming episode of Trinity Blood. And it, it had a little behind the scenes snapshot you could look at that showed Troy Baker in the studio dubbing a scene as Abel Night Road. And despite the fact that I grew up in an era where, you know, I played games that had voice acting like Mega Man Legends, you know, I watched cartoons like normal children did. I grew up alongside Pokemon, for for God's sake, but it never occurred to me that it was real human people doing the voices that would then become these characters. And so seeing Troy doing that at the same time that his character's lip flaps were moving was like the light bulb moment for me. And it was the first time that something I had discovered on my own, not something that had been forced upon me, enraptured me so much that I wanted to be involved with it no matter what. And so really, that was the motivation was... I, this just is enthralling. I couldn't even describe why at the moment, but it seemed like this opportunity to use my energy, you know, use my natural enthusiasm and, and apply it to this medium that would let me portray all of these fantastic characters and all these unique worlds with these special powers and stuff like that. And uh, that passion, that same passion that got me kickstarted is kind of what carried me to where I am today. And it's something that I hope stays with me for a long time. How long do you think you're going to be doing this <laughs> till i die like till you uh, die. <laughs> no for real um i don't think there's ever going to come a point where i'm going to just sit back and go you know what i think i've had my fun i'm done with doing this i'm either going to die mm. in the booth from complications from something or it's going to be ripped away from me before i'm ready and then it's going to be one of those cases where like uh like with don lafontaine where the dude croaked and they still had like trailers from him for like four years after his <laughs> death by now, they probably like synthesized his voice on like a computer program. So once they like clear the legalese with their lawyers or with his estate, they can probably just like have him show up. Like, uh, was it Cindy Crawford or who was that one actress that they like totally CGI'd, even though she doesn't exist anymore? Uh, and didn't they want to do that with name. like? Didn't they want to do that with Carrie Fisher at one point? Yes, yeah, kind of did. <laughs> well, they they kind of yeah they took like stock video, they stock stock footage from other movies. Given that you're, you know, one of the best voice actors in the industry, um, how intense is that? How intense is that audition phase? Um, well, I guess most of the intensity really just comes from your own psyche. Because uh, despite whether it's, or regardless of whether it's for Persona 5 or an indie game or for Breath of the Wild, um, the audition process is pretty straightforward where, you know, you're either part of an agency that receives these character sides or you're part of the studio that won the dubbing contract and they send out specific character sides to specific actors based on who they think might be a good fit. And, and you read the lines and either you're told what the project is for or you're given just a vague description. And then based on the info that you have, you make a choice on how you're going to represent these characters that you read for and you send your takes in. Now, a lot of the difficulty honestly comes from the actor themselves. It could be, you know, feelings of doubt or insecurity. Like, am I even good enough to be a part of this type of project? You know, do I have any idea what I'm, I'm doing for this character recording? Do I believe the voice that I'm doing? Do I believe the performance that I'm giving? Um, it, it could be, you know, listening back to your audition and going, oh, you know what? This doesn't sound right. I want to do this a different way. And then recording the same lines three, four, six times, which will happen a lot, especially with amateurs early on in their careers. Um, and those kinds of things can really wear you down. And then, you know, obviously after you send out the audition, you may have those thoughts of, you know, was it actually that good? Did I shoot myself in the foot? Does it sound worse than I thought it did? Is this what the client was looking for? It's pretty much all in your head from beginning to end. And so a big part of, of not only 
keeping your sanity intact, but potentially booking more roles is to stop caring so much about the process. And I don't mean don't care at all, but to stop like dedicating so much headspace to something that there are so many uncontrollable factors to, and instead just focusing on having fun with the process and saying, well, what does this character sound like to me? You know, what would I have fun doing in the booth? And, and does it at least align with the description that they've given here? Um, and that's why two takes exist. You know, you can do one take where you try to match exactly what the client is asking for. And you can do another take where you do only what you think of regarding the character. I have booked jobs uh, off of doing what I wanted to do because even though it didn't match what the client was expecting at all, it was so fun to listen to that they felt compelled to use it anyway. That, that's 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 honestly, um, I guess that could apply to anything, really. Um mm -hmm. Yeah, like being passionate about what you're doing is more important than doing it well. Mm -hmm. And um, I know you kind of explained your origin story, technically, but um, like, how would one start their career in voice acting? Well, uh, 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 the two biggest uncontrollable elements that you have are time and experience. And it's this is a very timely time, 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 time to ask this question. Uh, because I actually just had... <gasps> A discussion with someone earlier where they were like, you know, I, I really think I'm ready to start applying for union jobs. And I said, well, how long have you been a part of, of a voice acting community? Because I haven't really seen you around very much. And they're like, oh, a few months. I'm like, well, hold on there, Skipper. Um, because I, I feel like there's a significant difference between thinking that you're ready and knowing that you are ready. Because it's easy to think, okay, I understand the process of the voice acting industry. I understand how the recording process goes. I understand how to audition. You know, I understand that you need good equipment. But, but thinking that you have that knowledge is not the same as having gone through your paces and, and diving into that world and actually absorbing real life experience so that when the, when the pro stuff happens, when the really big opportunities come along, you're like, I'm not new to this. I'm not, you know, jumping in blind and hoping that I figure out along the way. It's I already know what to expect and I have answers for each step of the way. So what I would recommend to people uh, who want to get into voice acting depends very, very, very heavily on where they're starting off. If they have no experience whatsoever, then my first recommendation is going to be you should be spending more time reading, researching, and learning than you should be spending practicing. Um, you should be getting involved with voice acting communities and listening to your peers and, and reading up about different aspects of the industry so that every time you, you hit a next step in your career, every time you reach a new milestone, it's not going to be as new and surprising and unfamiliar to you because you already know what to expect. Um, if you have a little bit of background experience in theater or acting already, okay, cool. Well, hopefully you know what your strengths are. If you know what your strengths are, then start looking for projects where they are casting for characters that play to those strengths. So you can start building your portfolio. Uh, if you're farther along than that, then maybe you should be looking at your weaknesses and saying, well, how can I take my weaknesses and turn them into new strengths for myself? Um, Depending on your locality, if you're already living near a central hub, great. You should be looking at workshops. You should be looking at opportunities to meet with agents. You should be looking at, you know, uh, uh, tours of, of studios or something like that. You should be, if you are actually ready to be performing professionally, you should look into emailing local studios and asking if they're accepting submissions from new talent for their talent roster. If you're not living local to those hubs, well, now you should be planning on what you're going to be doing. Are you going to stay 
where you're living and do only remote work? Do you understand what opportunities you may be limiting yourself from as a result of that? If you're going to move to one of the hubs, what kind of money do you have saved up? Do you have an interview lined up? Are you prepared to take a second or possibly even a third job or to work a job 12 hours a day, six days a week so that you have a safety net and you have time during the day to do auditions? Um, it, it's going to, the answer is going to vary wildly based on where each individual is on their own path. Um, but that's part of why all of them overlap in that circle of being involved with the voice acting community, not only because you will get to network with people that are in your same position and you guys can work together as a team to kind of work through any new obstacles together, but also so you have the opportunity to learn from people who are farther ahead of you already that are currently sitting where you want to be in the future so that you can prepare accordingly for the struggles that they have to face and you're not going to be blindsided by them as you progress damn that that's definitely a lot to think about that's a lot to take <laughs> it's not just as simple as grabbing a microphone and and having at it it's that's... there's you are it's a business it's a job mm -hmm. it's a hobby it's a personal pursuit it's a passion it's all of these different things and if you're not prepared to to manage all of them and i mean self-manage all of them it's gonna mess you up it's it's a lot more demanding than a job that just says show up here do this for eight hours a day and if you don't suck at it you'll get a paycheck i'll also add you gotta if you're gonna audition for something you gotta pray that uh, chris pratt didn't get to it first <laughs> <laughs> those those damn crispy rats uh. man they're they're so good so then what did you do before voice acting like cried your nine to five no <laughs> um I, I had all sorts of jobs. Um, before I even moved out to California, I was focused on my curriculum. I worked at a farm market. I did. I was a library page, and all of those were pretty short-lasting because I got so bored of them. After <laughs> I moved out to California, the first job I had when I moved out to California was a graveyard shift job from 11 o'clock to 8 a.m. Uh, for a, a, a call center dispatch um, for a security system. And I typically worked 12 hour shifts as often as I could because I wanted that overtime money. And whenever they offered for me to come in for a sixth day, I would take that too. So I would usually work from 11 PM to 12 o'clock noon, drive home, do voiceover auditions from like one to four, and then usually pass out between five to 6 PM until about 10 and then drive oh out goodness. my job again. Yeah, Damn, that's uh, the grind. Uh, that's a grindy schedule. I, it sucked. And uh, my then girlfriend, now wife at the time, said that it looked like my soul had left my body with how dead I appeared on the Skype calls. But to me, that was what it took in order to give myself both the finances and the time availability to pursue voice acting during the hours that that industry was awake. You know, it, it felt like taking a graveyard shift job was the most logical course of action versus working a nine to five and missing all of the day to day. Cause there was a, there was a site that I used very frequently back then called voice bunny. And back then their model was based around what was called speedies, which were clients who didn't need like the perfect voice for their project. They just needed a voice that fit a general spec. Like we need a calm professional voice for this training module. We need, you know, a, a clearly understandable voice to narrate this news article for people that are listeners, not readers. So they would post up the job and the first person to take the job would get to work it. And the idea was that if you just took jobs, no matter what, even if you weren't a good fit for them, you weren't going to get good ratings and then you weren't going to, you know, get notified about the job at the same time as everybody else. So it was, you know, take the job if you know you're going to do a good one. Well, I knew what my strengths were, so I would camp my computer 
during the day for hours at a time and just snatched these jobs up the moment that they were posted. And that was how I made my freelance money on the side. But of course, I wouldn't have had the chance to do that if I was working a day job at the same time, you know? Uh, yeah. So there, there were some side jobs I did after my career had already started. Uh, I did some QA testing for a while, which was how I got introduced to the PlayStation Vita and the dungeon crawler genre. Um, I also got really bored at one point because I went two weeks without having any new work. And so I resolved that by getting a job at California Disneyland. Uh, <laughs> oh, you know, Fun literally, I, I literally got hired at, at Turtle Talk. And uh, in the middle of my 90 day orientation period, I booked Subaru Natsuki in ReZero. So I was wearing my throat out as the oh lead goodness. role in ReZero and then also wearing my throat out helping with Turtle Talk. And uh, it basically got to the point where I had to make a choice. And so I finished my 90 days, earned my ears, became a permanent part of the Disney alumni, and then two days later turned in my two weeks. <laughs> <laughs> he rejected animation for more animation. <laughs> right. The more you know. So then what do you think your biggest opportunity in your voice acting career was? I mean... It depends, you know, like uh, a lot of people would probably say my big opportunity was voicing three characters in an award winning first party launch day console selling game through Breath oh. of the Wild. <laughs> Some yeah. people might say it's voicing us a literal superhero for an official company. Um, some people might say it was when I voiced Diabel and and made that leap from amateur to professional where this kid that no one had heard of was suddenly now on a Toonami episode airing on TV. You know, the 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 person who grew up listening to Adult Swim was now on a show that was airing on Adult Swim. Like how how much more full circle can you get? Um, so I on it. I and I looking over one of the other questions, I think you're going to get a similar answer to what I'm about to say, but. I feel like, a, for me, a big part of retaining my passion for this, this career relies on the fact that I don't really fall back on any one specific thing and say, that was the biggest opportunity that I had. You know, this was my favorite role of all time. Because on the one hand, if it's that far back, then it almost feels like I'm resting on my laurels. Like no matter what I've done in the time since then, nothing managed to meet or even surpass, you know, that role from several years ago. And if that's the case, then why am I not finding as much joy in, in my jobs or in my, my character performances anymore? Um, and it's also the fact that like the industry changes in different ways. You know, I, Back when I first started voice acting, my my life dream, the one thing I wanted to do more than anything else before I died was to voice something for an anime. I don't not even a lead character, but just anything for an anime, like even a background role. And now if I were to look back on that with the portfolio that portfolio that I have today, it would be pretty silly in retrospect. Um so I look at it the same way, you know, like back when Breath of the Wild came out. Yeah, sure. That was a huge, huge accomplishment for me. But then Age of Calamity came out like what? One, two years ago at this point. And that was a Dynasty Warriors game where I voice a playable character. Like I could select Rivali and Teba on the same team and hear myself performing as them and play the game as those characters. That's crazy. 
That's nuts. <laughs> That's insane. <laughs> like, like people say, oh, Revali must have been like the biggest role in your lifetime. No, it's the Great Deku Tree. You know why? Because I was eight years old playing the demo kiosk at Toys R Us when Ocarina of Time was about to come out. And I remember oh meeting the Great Deku Tree for the first time. And to the best of my knowledge, I'm the first official English voice that this bastard has ever had. That is you certainly are. That is That's 23 true. years since the first time I met him, and I am the first person to voice him in English in the in the franchise's history. That is insane to think about. That is such an honor to have. Six how many people on this earth? How many people? People on earth. What are we up to right now? Way too many, I know for that much. 7.9 billion people. Billion people. And I'm the great Deku tree. <laughs> so you don't think you peaked yet? I don't. I hope I never peak. I hope I keep hitting. <laughs> I hope I keep hitting new peak. There is there is a statement. I I'm paraphrasing this horribly, but it is sometimes only after we finish scaling the mountain in front of us that we are able to look out from its peak and see where all the taller mountains are on the horizon. Damn. <laughs> It's very hard. It's very hard to see anything else when you have this giant mass of earth in front of you blocking your view. But that doesn't mean once you finally reach the top, once you reach its peak and you have a chance to look out from a height you've never been to before, that you're not going to notice something even taller and go, well, I was able to scale this. I should see if I can scale that, too. So that is my goal is to always be finding new peaks. While you're in the midst of scaling this, um... We've noticed that you've voiced so, so many characters in your career, and they're all radically different. Like, some of them are aged young, some of them are aged old. Uh, Revali, Teba, Great Deku Tree, uh, Subaru, Draken, Torgrim, uh, Diluc, uh, various characters throughout other franchises, um, and even cameos in, in some movies, too, like Detective Pikachu. Mm -hmm. How are you able to do all that? All, all, this, all these different personalities? Um, well, uh, it's a mix of understanding the characters themselves and understanding your own vocal range. You know, there are actors that book crap loads of work without having or ex uh, using a very wide range. Think of Don LaFontaine, for example. The dude made his entire living off of one particular style of performance, and that's nothing to be ashamed of. And then there are actors that have very wide ranges as well. Um, for me, it's a mix of, you know, I, I play around with voices, whether I'm being silly or if I'm practicing, and then I see how I can apply those to future auditions. Um, part of it is, you know, looking at a character's visuals. I'm, a, I'm very much a visual learner, so it's easier for me if there's like a, a, a piece of art attached to the character side. And I go, the, one of the first questions that I ask myself is, well, what do they look like they sound to me? When they show up in my head, what is the first, what is the sound that I imagine coming out of their mouths? Now, can I make that sound? And if I can't, what's the closest I can get to that? Or what is an interpretation that I can do successfully that I also think could work for that type of character? Um, you know, a good example is if I'm, if I'm voicing like a, a, a weaselly, you know, shady type of character, you know, am I going to voice someone who tends to be very quiet and doesn't want to be noticed by people on the other side of the street? 
Or am I going to be like, you know, the, the wise talking guy who's super confident, you know? Hey, don't worry about it. You know, I'm your best friend. I'm going to help you through this. Two wildly different interpretations of, of a character that you can go with. So it's just a matter of what I feel is the most fitting, what might be the most fun. Um, and then, of course, you know, the client is there to guide me as well if they have a specific interpretation of mine in mind. So it's very much a collaborative process at the end of the day. Yeah, and specifically, I want to ask you about uh, Subaru in ReZero, which I've watched half of the first season so far. Mm -hmm. um, You're missing out, man. Of, you got to catch uh, up. It's, I've heard of missing out. <laughs> um, and from what I've watched, the range of the character uh, that the character needs is insane. Um, some of the gruesome situations that are mixed up with uh, Subaru's upright attitude. Uh -huh. um, but he also, you also nailed the delivery of the comedic lines, which I was not expecting the show to be comedic I, in any way. Okay, so I, so I can bring this up because I know you've at least seen the first half of season one. Uh, yes. I, I knew I would be able to do a voice type like that, but I am incredibly proud of, but also surprised by how clean my fake girl voice was when he screams for help in the alleyway and he's like telling, you know, police, please help me. Oh my God. I was yeah. not, I was not expecting it to be as crack free as it was. And that is honestly one of my personal pride points of season one. Yeah. Cause Subaru, he's, he's a cocky character. He knows what he's doing. Uh, but then he can, he's also funny at the same time, which, uh, in usually in dub, you don't really get that across. Mm -hmm. Um, specifically, do you have to know Japanese to become a dub voice actor? Um, I don't think you have to know Japanese. I, I do think they're one of the other lessons that we learn when it comes to voice acting or really any career is that world experience is career experience. You know, you're not going to learn everything there is to learn about voice acting by only doing voice acting. Um, a good example being, you know, people listening, you know, a lot of workshops will recommend that you just sit at a plaza or sit in a mall or a park and just listen to conversations of people passing by, you know, what kind of voices do they have? How, how do they sound? You know, how do they pronounce certain words or syllables? Um, and it's, it's, um, now I specifically chose to minor in Japanese when I was in college for two reasons. One was because I'd already been learning Spanish all throughout high school and I wanted to try something different. But another reason was because since I knew that anime is produced in Japan for the most part, you know, often plays with locations or characters based in Japan or, or has a lot of references to Japanese culture, I figured if I know how these character names are pronounced, if I understand cultural norms or like, you know, superstitions or history, then it will be easier to pick up on these references um, during my auditions or during my performances. So I'm not going like, what is what is uh, a Hanma? You know, what is, you know, Kabuki theater? I don't understand anything like this. And I'd be able to play along with it instantly. Um, it's definitely helped with, you know, there are Japanese clients that I do radio uh, narrations for, and knowing how these certain terms are pronounced makes it extremely easy for me to say them correctly. Um, a big part of why I was able to do so well in um, Ghosts of Tsushima, Ghost of Tsushima, I play many, many, many different NPC and Mongol-type characters, and I was assigned a Japanese dialect coach whose entire job was to make sure that I was that I was speaking with the correct dialect for that time of the game. And and she was honestly impressed with how little she needed to correct the way that I was pronouncing certain terms because 
part of having that Japanese minor kind of taught me how the dialect work and how the, the pronunciations worked. It did help my career, but it wasn't a make or break moment for my career. So would I recommend it to people that would like to get into voice acting anime? Absolutely. Will you not be able to be successful if you don't learn it? No, I still think you will have the opportunity. It just might be a little bit more difficult to pick up on those nuances because you don't have that prior experience. That is honestly... <laughs> You've left me speechless, honestly. I don't know what to that's add to that. That's a lot of dedication. Like, that's, that's really, really good. You know, that's why if I want a voice for adult visual novels, I'm going to go to a bathhouse. I need that real-world <laughs> real experience. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> now, on a similar note to what Dakota was asking about um, ReZero, um, so in Breath of the Wild, you, you, know, you voice Valley, but you also voice Teba, who seems to be like that future counterpart. Having that like dual role, how do you manage to switch personalities between a father figure and an, uh, an arrogant rival? Well, part of it is just being able to separate yourself from one character and move on to the next. You know, it's it for me. It was saying, okay, I'm not Rivali anymore. I'm Teba. Okay, well, what what are Teba's uh, motivations? Um, motive understanding motivations of a character is also a really big one. You know, for example, um, Rivali is someone who's very very confident in their ability. You know, they were certain from the get go that they had what it took to defeat Ganon and save Hyrule. Teba, in contrast, is someone who wasn't ever really sure if what they had would be enough. And that's part of why they were so um, unconvinced by Le Link's appearance was like, listen, I'm not even sure if I'm enough. And I've been training for this moment ever since I knew about the threat. I don't even know anything about you. And so I have no idea whether you're capable of, of defeating this threat. And I don't want anyone else to get hurt. Um, so understanding the different character mentalities goes a long, long, long way to portraying them uh, different vocally um in addition you know uh we think of i to the best of my knowledge Rivali was never with anybody so he was definitely single he focused on himself teba has a wife he has kids you know he has an entire family that could suffer if he doesn't succeed or if he ends up dying he's gonna leave behind his wife and his children and so that kind of dread that kind of worry weighs on him a lot and it's probably gonna make him play a lot more seriously than Rivali does and so these are all things that I keep in mind when I'm exploring the character. <clears throat> and I try to see how it'll pattern the voice, whether it's through my posture or through my facial expression. Um, you know, sometimes if you take like a deep sigh of, of worry or despair, like even that sigh is going to bring your voice further down into your chest, into your stomach, because you're just trying to pull as much air as you can after the sigh. And so that's going to affect your, your tonality as well. We have a we have a friend of ours. Uh, he's not a part of the Switch Clicks, but he has a question for you. Um, he's a big fan of fighting games and specifically Guilty Gear Strive, uh, where you voice. I don't I don't know if I'm gonna get this right, but Ki Kiske, uh, Kai Kisk, Kai Kisk. I see. It's okay. I <laughs> um, thought it was Kiske for the longest time too. I had to be informed that it's Kai Kisk. Ah, uh, um, what are your thoughts about your work with uh, Arc System Works? I think they have banger soundtracks, and I really enjoy the passion that they have for the games that they produce. 
Um, and in addition, I really, really like that they have enough fun with the community that they're willing to include Easter eggs. Like the original uh, Easter egg line of me going, I'm falling, you know, when he gets tripped. Uh, that was not part of the script to begin with. But our localization director asked if we could just get a recording of it in case they wanted to use it because he knew about the reference from, I think it was Guilty Gear Zerd is when it happened. Um, and they liked the delivery so much that they put it in. So. I am not even joking when I tell you this. He specifically asked us, where can I find this? Let me see if I can find it. Uh, we mentioned, where is it? Uh, Nathan, you gotta Thrive? find this for me. Uh, okay. Server, it, it yeah, we have a private server with him. He specifically asked, uh, did he know about the <laughs> dub line, oh no, I'm falling? No, 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 I did. Him. Like, like I, <laughs> I had seen it before, but I asked them to remind me via the clip. And so when, after I saw it, I was like, oh yes, let's get a recording of this just in case. Oh, dang. And then he said, actually scratch that, and he just wanted to ask about Arc System. That's crazy. You answered both questions, even though we didn't have to tell him. <laughs> <laughs> um, the next thing, a few days ago, uh, Square Enix announced that you'll be the voice of Spider-Man in the Avengers game. Uh, right. How does it feel to probably fill the biggest shoes in superhero history? Okay, so for this, I actually wrote a, a tweet thread about this that apparently was popular enough that a bunch of news aggregate sites immediately stole it and wrote articles about it. Um, if I may, can I link it to you guys here in the chat and then read it out loud for this podcast? Yeah, sure, no problem. Sure. Uh, ba -ba 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 -ba. Oh my god, why did I write so goddamn much in the last 24 hours? Are you kidding me? Uh <laughs> No, I tweeted so much. I can't even <laughs> find my own tweet anymore. This is bullshit. Uh, I think I almost, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. I'm almost there. Okay, found it. Almost, almost. So here's what I said. I said, so I know that I've screamed my lungs out. I've monologued for minutes straight. I've done all sorts of extremes that this role didn't require from me. But I honestly feel like voicing as Peter Parker slash Spider-Man, sorry, spoilers, um, has to be one of the hardest jobs I've ever had overall. And a big part of that was like, unlike stuff like The Great Deku Tree, unlike stuff like Rivali, where I'm basically setting the standard for these characters, I am the first person to come in and voice them. Here is this legacy character that not only has had a whole bunch of people much older than me voicing him for much longer than I have, but many of them are also extremely popular for various reasons. Yuri Lowenthal, probably the go-to for video game Spider-Man. Josh Keaton, I also know as a very popular one. Tom Holland, undeniably, in, in his element as Spider-Man, the way that um, uh, 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 Iron Man was for, I always forget what the dude's actual name was. Um, Robert Downey? Yeah, Robert Downey Jr. Like, in, inseparable at this point. So here's me, some kid who's never had this opportunity before coming in, wondering if I even deserve to be in the same room as these people. And so the question arose at least a few times in my mind. I was like, okay, well, am I actually good enough? Do I belong here? And I realized, hey, all of this doubt and insecurity about if you belong in the same room with all of these much better, more powerful and stronger older people. Hey, don't you think that's kind of how Peter Parker might feel about being part of the Avengers? These, these superheroes that he probably knew about before he even got his powers in the first place. I said, hey, as long as you're not sure what to do with this, why not take the insecurity that you have and play that as Peter Parker? Why not let this character 
be carried through your nervousness and see like what version of that you bring to the table as a result. Um, you know, like you can you can emulate the youthfulness of Tom Holland Spider-Man if you really like playing a younger version, if you don't want to go for like the the into the Spider-Verse older version, but just make sure that you don't pretend or try to hide your your nervousness because that's organic, that's human, it's a real feeling. Um and so yeah, I, I tried to imbue that with part of the character. You know, I use the fact that Spider-Man uses comedy to mask his fears. You know, he often thinks about whether uh, his his responsibilities are much more than someone his age should have to face. Um, and I just tried to play off that and be as authentic as I could. Do I think it was perfect? Hell no. I'm sure that there are going to be plenty of deliveries where I'm like, oh, that's too anime. Uh, I feel like I could have been more realistic with this. But at least I made a choice which was better than when I first got cast. And I'm like, I have no idea what I'm doing here. At least I made a choice. And when I wasn't sure, I relied on my director and I let them guide me. And at the end of the day, if the director likes what they heard, if they if they accepted it and ironed my paycheck, then I did something right at the end of it all. And, and as long as I can say with 100% confidence that I put every ounce of effort I could into doing the best job that I could, then there's nothing for me to be ashamed of. I also really like how now that you've added Spider-Man, you're now kind of touching into every single part of, uh, I guess you could say, animation or video games and movies. <laughs> right. I haven't really broken into Western animation yet. That's still that's still the Achilles heel for me, where I thought I would do really well in that sector of the industry, and I just can not manage to get my foot in the door. So we'll see what happens. Still got to be Chris Pratt. <laughs> yeah, you got to be Chris Pratt, like Nathan said. <laughs> Sean Chris Lock. <laughs> Just put that. You'll it's, they'll hire you no matter what. Right. <laughs> so that since you said that you excelled in you know sort of the more Japanese audiences, and there was always this debate in the for among Western audiences for animes. I'm sure mm -hmm. you already know about it, but um, dub versus sub. I don't care. <laughs> I genuinely no. I don't care because look at it this way if it's dub then an actor is making an income and they're able to pay their rent awesome fantastic and it opens it up to a wider audience perfect if it's sub then there's still people that are watching it there's still people that are supporting the company and the company makes a decision on how they use the finances that they get which may include financing a dub to reach a wider audience so i get people that are like i refuse to watch this dubbed i'm only going to watch the sub and i'm like Great! By watching the sub, legally, you're helping the company earn finances through ad revenue, and they're going to be able to use those finances to fund a dub anyway. So you're still supporting the industry. I don't care. You're not the one giving me a paycheck. It's the company that is. So yeah, that's completely true for me too. Um, I don't really have a preference per se. Uh, uh -huh. but if if I can't, if there is no dub, and then I'll watch it in sub. And if there is a dub, I'll watch it in dub. <laughs> there you go. I just don't. I it, I wish I could give a more flowery answer, but I genuinely just don't care. I'm more focused on doing the best job that I can do. How you choose to support the project is up to you. Just support it legally. That's all I care about. Yeah. Um. And you've also worked with multiple game developers and different studios. And I don't know what would you call voice acting studio or animation mm. studio. <laughs> um. Are there any particular that uh, stood out to you? to be like maybe different from the rest uh in regards to what uh maybe how they work i don't know if every place they work the same way 
I mean, some it may vary from studio to studio or client to client in terms of, you know, what type of performances that they're looking for. Like, I know that there's one animation dubbing studio that tends to lean very closely to matching the Japanese. In contrast, there's another dubbing studio that really wants the English to do its own thing, even if it completely ignores the original context. Like, they're going to keep the emotional context of the scene, but they're not going to deliver the lines the same exact way. Um some companies will just chase the picture. There's some companies, especially if they do a lot of live action dubbing, where they'll have like a, a scrolling text bar along the bottom of the screen that gives you the exact timing of when you should be saying each word in the sentence. Um, but for the most part, the recording process is just about the same. The only thing that changes is who's in the booth. So uh, that's that's one of those those technical expertise things that you get. You know, the the more experience you get with it, the easier it becomes to just instantly adapt between studios, uh, aside from picking up the small nuances of what might change from client to client. Yeah. And did uh, did COVID affect your job at all? Oh, it affected it significantly. I would say uh, prior to the middle of this year, 95% of my work was done from home. But even though I've started coming back into studios now that they're available, recording from home is still an option from time to time. And it's definitely more common for some projects versus others. Like a lot of my video game stuff I tend to do in studio, but a lot of anime dubs I tend to do from home. I don't know if that's just an industry thing or something else, but I like that I have the I often have the option of either coming in physically or recording from home. It's allowed me to fit in more auditions, more work in between those sessions instead of spending more time in traffic. Um, I know that it's opened up a world of opportunities for remote talent. I, I believe either Funimation or Crunchyroll recently announced a dub cast that included a Filipino actress, and I mean like someone living in the Philippines who was part of the English dub, which is insane and probably unheard of before, you know, the COVID restrictions happened. So I hope it's around here for the long haul. I hope that even as studios resume bringing people back in physically, that they will keep their ears open to remote talent that have suitable home quality or uh, broadcast quality home studios that they can include in their rosters. And I think it's great on two fronts. I think it's great for diversification, and I also think it's great for competition, because anything that puts the pressure on veteran voice actors to continue honing their craft so that they can continue to prove that they are the cream of the crop when it comes to the casting choices uh, is great, not only for their own development, but for the quality of recorded projects in the industry as a whole. Yeah, and I assume, like... I'm pretty sure in the older times and maybe early 2000s when anime was not so popular, you had to get a dub or something from a DVD and you can stream it. Uh, mm -hmm. the, the amount of people watching anime was probably incredibly low and therefore the amount of dub voice actors was also probably low. Um, mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure there was like a, probably a group of people that were just recycling through to different projects. <laughs> right. <laughs> Um, and now that I'm, I'm going to assume in the last year or so, once the pandemic happened, everybody was stuck inside and anime exploded in popularity. Yeah, I'm, right. I sh I'm sure it was popular before, but it exploded. So I assume that more people will be interested in therefore what you said, that uh, there'll be more competition between right. people. For sure. And um, on another note, actually, we've noticed that you're 
popular Twitch streamer as well. Like, what got you started in uh, boredom again? Remember how I last time? <laughs> no, remember how last time I said that I got really, really bored from a lack of work that I ended up working at California uh, Adventure Disneyland because I had nothing better to do. Yeah. Well, after COVID hit and we went an entire month and a half without any work because studios were just waiting to bring us back in, I was like, okay, I'm getting sick of this. I need something to do. And previously, I had expressed interest in streaming, but the two things were holding me back was I didn't have enough time, and I didn't know if I had enough space. Um, well, I definitely had the time now, so I was like, okay, well, I might as well figure out if I can make the equipment work. And so I, I dipped my toes in it. I had people to help me uh, with the technical side of things. And before I knew it, I had basically provided this sort of entertainment haven for people that were also suffer also suffering from the isolation aspect of COVID. And uh, it definitely has grown bigger than I expected it to. Um, but I have taken it in stride. I've basically accepted it as another form of work. Um, I'm grateful for all the games that it has pushed me to play that I don't think I would have otherwise ever gotten around to. And it's just something that I've incorporated into my life, slowly but surely. Are there any content creators that you specifically watch? Uh, no, I don't have any time for, for uh, anything outside of my own streams. Like I am either recording, auditioning, streaming, or trying to sleep and failing <laughs> miserably. Um, I, I give kudos to a lot of different content creators that, that continue to entertain. And I have people that I'm very grateful for that helped me out when I was developing my own stream. But I just... Most of the time, I've got to focus on myself, and I don't mean that in a selfish way. I just mean that I literally do not have the spare time to go around watching other stuff versus trying to keep abreast of all of my own client demands. Yeah, and we were grateful that you made time for us, too, because it seems like you're pretty busy. <laughs> hey, I mean, you were offering $250. How could I say no? <laughs> um, I know, we're joking. It's actually 500 <laughs> So you probably get a lot of fans, kind maybe not a lot, but a decent amount of fans that come to you and they're really hyped to meet you. Um, is yeah. there anyone that you would be really hyped to meet? Um, you know, I don't know if I ever got the chance to properly say thank you to Troy Baker for getting me started on, on my career path, but if he'd make the time for me, I would love to just like take a minute or two and tell him how much of an inspiration he was and how grateful I am for who I am today and how he kickstarted all of that. But outside of that, I just figure there will be organic opportunities, you know, like I, I, I just enjoy interacting with passionate people in general. Um, and, and I'm sure that there will be plenty of organic opportunities for that just through the advancement of my own career. So I just keep my eyes open and I wait to see what the future has in store. You know, there's probably someone I have never met yet in my life that in five years from now will be someone that I consider a very close colleague just because we share so much in our interests. Speaking of your career, um, I guess, rather than the fans reacting, how do you react to, like, let's say you get a call or email saying, like, telling you that you've gotten a part that you've auditioned uh -huh. for? Like, how do you react? How, how do you usually uh, react What's the age that? rating of this podcast? Uh, family, but I can bleep stuff out. Okay, I really hope I don't take <laughs> this up is usually my first thought. No, it's usually my first thought is I really hope I don't screw this up. Uh, because, you know, out of all the potential people they could have picked for that role, I'm the one that they went with. And and I think of Miyamoto's quote of, you know, a delayed game is eventually good, a bad game is forever bad. Well, a bad performance is there forever. Anytime you play that line, anytime you play that game, it's going to be there. So I need to make sure I do the best job that I can. And I, it's that was especially true for Ravali. So really, a lot of my celebration tends to come 
after the project is out and I've had to chance to, I had a chance to make sure that the audience doesn't hate it. Um, and then I can breathe a sigh of relief and then be proud of my work. The rare exception is when it's a role that I knew from the get go that I had an extremely competitive, extremely viable performance. Cause then it's just me having fun. And it's a case of, well, if you don't like what I did, screw you. I'm not here for you. I'm here for me. Um, but for the most part, I, I generally just, you know, go into work mode. I say, I'm going to do the best job that I can. And, and I'm going to see what people think about it when it comes out. So like right now, even with Spider-Man, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait for the campaign to drop. And then if most people are like, Hey, you know what? I, I really enjoyed this. Or, you know, I wasn't a big fan of it at first, but I can see it fitting the character. Then, you know, maybe I'll allow myself to fall asleep without crying. <laughs> and was that you in the reveal trailer? Uh, with the, the, like the story so far thing where like, he's talking about meeting with the Avengers and like doing a, a, a selfie on his phone or something like that. I think so. I believe that is me. Yes. Okay. Um, and if you remember which, uh, what was the first line of dialogue you spoke as a voice actor? Uh, probably when I opened up windows sound recorder and started doing stupid skits based on final fantasy seven, like <laughs> I, I, the only one I distinctly remember was I did like a two minute skit about Cloud uh, getting pulled over for going over the speed limit on his chocobo and uh, the police officer putting like a boot on his chocobo's leg so that they couldn't run off. And and it was just the funniest thing to me because I liked the idea of, of chocobos de- being treated like actual cars. So funny story. You actually got a role and you actually got a couple of roles in Final Fantasy VII Remake, right? Yeah, uh, my very first role or the my first notable role in the remake was as the voice of the radio guy uh, v- to- very close towards the end of the game, the, ba- the, the main game, as you're walking through the wreckage to climb over the border of the Midgar wall. Um, there's a isolated radio sitting on the floor that's asking for someone to pick it up. And if you pick it up, you're definitely going to have to bleep this. He's like, hey, have you guys found, you know, you, wherever those that that group is and you know they're so like nope we haven't noticed him yet and he's like okay well if you find them take out those shit heads and so i i laughed uh, i i remember telling people like let it be known that i got paid a couple thousand dollars to at some point call cloud and his entire entourage a bunch of shit heads <laughs> no they're shit for brains it was shit for brains so i just thought that was really funny but then of course i managed to book nero which I know that he's kind of enigmatic and and he is based on a game that is a cult favorite for various reasons, but I'm really glad that I got to portray him and I hope that people enjoyed what I did with him. Now, I think, uh, well, actually, I'll let Dakota show you this. Um, we actually had a webcomic from the first guest that we had for Zelda Month. It okay. was from Buff Hestu and it was to promote our... Um, our podcast for the month. Um, and it, they, they chose Ravali to be the one to react to what Hesky would be doing. <laughs> and if it's possible, um, are you able to voice this reaction? I cannot. Uh, Nintendo is one of the few companies that I have a very specific contract that says they own the copyright to the character's likeness and their portrayals. And I cannot dub the character 
without their express permission. Ah. Um, it's one of those cases where, like, I could dub other characters. Like, if this was Buff Hestu saying these lines, then I could do it. But, for example, you will see Joe Zija doing, uh, voicing the lines of other characters in Fire Emblem, but he won't do Claude because he voices Claude, and it could be seen as an unofficial uh, professional representation of the character. That makes sense. You don't want the Nintendo ninjas on you. <laughs> Trust me, if I if I had permission, I would not have stopped with the comic dubs that I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just don't because part of being allowed to come back for stuff like Age of Calamity includes not pissing off the Nintendo ninjas by disobeying them. And so I love you guys and I love the community, but I love having repeat work more. If, if it's any consolation, I'm willing to bet that my performance as Volley is iconic enough that you can hear how I would read it in your head, even if I'm not doing it live. And that is my gift to you. And uh, we can move on to the question that we, we've asked every single guest so far. Um, uh-huh. How many games have you played in the Zelda series? Which one was your first and which one was your favorite? Um, let me see. I'm going to, you know what? I'm going to look up Wikipedia list of zelda games we'll just work down the list from from earliest to most recent um okay original legend of zelda definitely own that on the nes uh i don't think i ever properly beat it i did know how to do both the master quest and the regular quest the regular quest i would always end up stopping around like dungeon six or seven and then Master Quest, I could never find either the third or the fourth dungeon, and I just gave up looking. And I mean, I went all over the map looking for it, and I could not find it. Zelda Two: The Adventure of Link. Um, definitely did play it, and I got all the way to the final dungeon, but I could never actually figure my way through the final dungeon without losing all of my lives, so I never actually properly finished it. Link to the Past, I didn't play it. Link's Awakening, my absolute favorite. That's the one that I beat the most times. I played all the versions of it, the original, the DX, and the the HD remake. Um, it's also the one that I have the funniest story about because I uh, got lost or I couldn't figure out the puzzle to one of the dungeon rooms, and my family was at an Art Van Furniture store in Michigan, and I walked up shamelessly to the regional manager of the store and asked for his help solving the dungeon, which led to him calling his daughter who was in college. She wasn't able to help either, but you know what? The fact that he went that far out of his way to try and help this kid he's never met before, I hope that Art Van Furniture Store is doing well financially. Um, (laughs) Ocarina of Time, I technically beat it legit, but I did use a guide for a lot of the Adult Link dungeons, especially the Water Temple. Um, It's also the one that I had the most emotional reaction to because about two days after I beat Ocarina of Time, I woke up sobbing in my bed and it was so loud that it woke up my dad. He thought I was sick to my stomach or something and I was trying to explain to him through uh, blubbering sobs that I was really upset that Navi would leave Link after everything they'd been through together. Um... Ocarina, uh, Majora's Mask, I actually beat legitimately. I got all the masks. I got the Great de- uh, the great Deity Mask. I did all that legit. Uh, Oracle of Seasons and Ages, I bought when it was part of the eShop for Nintendo 3DS, but I didn't do more than like 20% of Oracle of, of Seasons. So I don't know if I'll ever get around to them anymore. Link to the Past, uh, Four Swords, never played it. Wind Waker, only sporadically played it. Minish Cap, never played it. Twilight Princess was really where I started falling off the ball because at that point, college curriculum was in full swing and I was more focused on voice acting. So I just I just couldn't commit the time to it. Phantom Hourglass, um, I played like half 
60% of it, didn't finish it. Spirit Tracks, I didn't play. Skyward Sword, I didn't play. Link Between Worlds, I played it start to finish during a very, very, very long layover at the airport. And I mean, like, I think I got to the airport at like 8 p.m. And my flight wasn't until 9.30 the following morning. So I just stayed up the entire evening and beat it in one go. Um, Triforce Heroes, I haven't... Oh, no, Tri... No, I didn't touch Triforce Heroes. And then Breath of the Wild, I will never end up touching because I'm way too ADHD and there is no way that I would be able to stay focused on it long enough because I'm one of those people that suffers from that thing where if you spend too long away from a game, you come back and you have no memory of where you were or what you were doing and what you were trying not to miss and I'll end up starting over. And that is the reason why I had to restart Jade Cocoon 2 four separate times from scratch before I actually beat it all the way through. So which one was your favorite out of that? <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's right. Uh, the Faces of Evil. Oh, you're kidding. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that's the one that I quote the most often. If I had to pick the ones that I've actually played, then it's easily Link's Awakening. Like, I, I've memorized, like, all of the music from that game, and it's the one that I, I basically broke down crying when I finished uh, No Death running it on the Switch remake. That's insane. Just, I can never do that. Um, and I guess that would also be your most played zelda game as well for sure without a doubt uh unless we want to talk about hyrule warriors and and age of calamity because i i honestly just from talking about hyrule warriors hyrule warrior uh, hyrule warriors sorry it's it's the wisdom tooth thing my tongue is still getting used to this extra space in my mouth like once a year i will go back to that game just because there's so many missions i haven't yet finished (laughs) you're speaking to nathan who's played how many hours of this game (laughs) Uh, 300 hours in Age of Calamity. (laughs) Right? I I gotta do the DLC in Age of Calamity now. Don't listen to yourself. Uh, I won't won't spoil it for you. You already know. He voiced the character. I mean, I voiced it. You probably know it. I voiced the scenes (laughs) in it. But you you haven't heard everyone else, though. Supposedly. Oh, you probably did, though. Uh, what do you, how do you feel that uh, Chris Pratt is taking over a bunch of roles that could go to other people? He better make it worth it. That's true. I don't I don't I don't think it's fair that people are critiquing a performance he hasn't even done yet. I do think they have a logical argument in why are they giving the the role to him and not to Chris Martinet. Although the prevailing theory that actually terrifies me is it's going to be one of those world swaps where it's Chris Pratt in Mario's body in the virtual world and Charles Martinet in Chris Pratt's body in the real world. Um oh, no. and that's why Chris Pratt is voicing Mario whereas uh, Charles Martinet would be voicing additional voices because he would actually be voicing as Chris Pratt. Um, but I I think the critique is only valid when we talk about Charles Martinet not getting to voice the character that he's played for decades, not the fact that Chris Pratt is going to give a horrible performance as Mario when we haven't even heard a sample of it. That's true. <laughs> That, that's a very that's a very valid point. I mean, I mean, look like, at it this way. Think of think of how many people went uh, saw the, my announcement as Spider Man and went, "Who the hell is this Sean Chiplock guy? Why didn't they just get a good person to voice? Why didn't they have Yuri Lowenthal do it since he's voiced Spider Man for all of these games?" Okay, well that's valid, but don't critique my performance when you haven't even heard it yet. Yeah, it's kind of odd that you get that when there's so many Spider People now. Right. Uh, did you have anything to plug, Sean? Um, definitely my Twitter and my Twitch, both of which are written the same way, which is twitter.com slash sonicmega or twitch.tv slash sonicmega. Twitter is the place to go for all my shit posts and my role announcements. Twitch is the place to go if you want to see me play through games, interact with me, ask questions. 
Um, and, and I also do some announcements there as well. But the, that's basically where I spend most of my time. I also have a Discord community, discord.gg slash Hazen, H-A-S-N, which I guess I will go ahead and write out right here. Um, I recommend it for people who just want to interact with my community in general. Sometimes we do community events like Multiplayer Mondays or the live dubs that I'm well known for. Um, you know, just going to reiterate, being a part of that community does not get you in on my social circle. It does not automatically make you like part of my private group. It's just something that you can join if you want to be part of a community that I support. Yeah, that makes sense. Again, with your uh, putting up your walls that you need to. Yeah, I'm, I'm very upfront with my community about what energy and time I have to spare and when I need time to myself. And they're very, very respectful of that. So there's there's a lot of mutual respect going on there. Thank you for joining us, Sean. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. We'd love it if you could follow us on Twitter and listen to future episodes on Spotify and iTunes. Join our community Discord server to continue today's discussion. And we'll see you next time on the Switch Clicks podcast.